Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. Welcome to a special episode of Inside the Vatican with America Media. It has been 500 years since St. Ignatius Loyola suffered the cannonball injury that would pave the way to his conversion. From an ambitious young soldier rumored to be dating a princess, to leaving it all to found the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits. To commemorate that 500th anniversary, the Jesuits have declared an Ignatian year, remembering their roots and announcing new initiatives for their future. So this week, I teamed up with Ashley McKinless from America Media's Jesuitical podcast to interview the Superior General of the Jesuits, Father Arturo Sosa. We asked him about his plans for the Jesuits, what it's like to run such a huge and diverse religious order, and, of course, about his relationship with his fellow Jesuit, Pope Francis. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Joining us from Rome is Father Arturo Sosa, the Superior General of the Society of Jesus. Welcome to the podcast, Father Sosa. Hello, how are you? Very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, I know you have a busy week, and in fact, we're meeting with Pope Francis uh, just a couple days ago. Is that right? That's right. You are very well informed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the picture was on Twitter, and it looked like you were having fun. But so we we do have to ask um since you are the superior general of the of the Jesuits and Pope Francis is our first Jesuit pope who's who's in charge between the two of you do you do you report to him or does he report to you He is the pope <laughs> He is the pope So it's very clear <laughs> very but clear he's still that a Jesuit. every Jesuit <laughs> reports to the to the pope mm-hmm. and is Maybe to 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 explain that when a Jesuit becomes a bishop, he the obedience is not more is not anymore for the superiors of the society. Mm. No, the bishop depends on the pope, and the pope depends on himself, mm-hmm. on the spirit. <laughs> so, because as you maybe remember, Ignatius de Loyola used to called the Pope the Vicar of Christ in Earth. So he's the Pope. So I am accountable to him. <laughs> so what is it like to meet with the Pope? What's your relationship like? No, it's a, it's a, very, it's a very fraternal and respectful relationship. Uh, Pope Francis knows very well the society of Jesus and, and knows how Jesuit can help him. And, uh, and he knows what to ask to the society and which persons can be missing for his projects. So he asks also very specific help and very specific persons to do it. And uh, in, a, in a very fraternal uh, way, we know each other many, many, many years ago, but he's older than me, so it's a, it's a, a, a relationship 
that has been growing uh, differently in different moments of my life. So you've said the Pope is the Pope. He's the Vicar of Christ on Earth. Uh, who is the Superior General? What is what is your job, and and how would you describe it? Well, I describe it as as the neck, as the neck of a body. <laughs> no, uh, you know that uh, Ignatius and uh, Saint Pauls. Uh, love to use the image of the body for the church and for the society of Jesus. And I, I feel I am the neck of a body uh, that when the head is Jesus Christ. That is the, the head. And the superior general is the one who, who tries to assure the connection between the body and its head, that is Christ. And that's my, my, that's my task, to be the neck to be the communication between the Society of Jesus and the head Jesus Christ. What are your favorite and least favorite parts of this job? Uh, be part of a universal intercultural body that is uh, so alive. So the contact with the different members of the body is, is, uh, is a, my favorite uh, part of, the, of my task. No? Visits in place are a privileged moment but also the communication through other means, meetings in rooms, letters, emails, Zoom meetings that have multiplied in this uh, pandemic uh, year. But uh, because that, as I said before, being an egg, I always in contact with the, the, the whole part of the, of, of the body. And uh, I think it's uh, really uh, amazing how you every day have a surprise. Sometimes very positive, sometimes not so positive, sometimes very negative. Every, every paper that comes to my, to my desk, I say, let's see what happens here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, are the, uh, what are the more challenging parts of your job that people might not know about? It's not easy to find what is the least favorite. You know, maybe maybe uh, feeling lack of time and energy to face all the sense. challenge that the body of the society has today, looking forward to contribute in a, shaping a new world based in reconciliation and justice. No, I, I feel that uh, I need more, more time and more energy and more creativity uh, in, my, in my own, in my own uh, yeah, yeah, That makes a lot of sense. So the podcast that I host is called Jesuitical, and we always say, we're not Jesuits, but we work with them. So as Colleen and I are lay people who work for a Jesuit apostolate, um, are you technically our boss? Are we like the pinky toe of, no, of this body? That I am not. <laughs> I hope I can be one who inspires your work, who helps to find the sense of what you are doing and living when you share the same mission. Technically, your boss is who is in charge of the apostolic work you are part of. Maybe that voice that is behind you is your boss. But I am, I am in, in face to face to you, so I'm not your boss. Well, you mentioned that uh, you will hope to inspire us in our mission. So let's talk a little bit about that mission. Uh, right now, we are in the Ignatian year, which is a celebration of the 500th anniversary of the cannonball injury that St. Ignatius experienced while he was defending Pamplona. And, you know, we all know this story. It was a pivotal moment in his life. He was on bed rest. He began his conversion process then. Why is it important for the Jesuits to return to that moment of conversion in Ignatius's life? What does it teach us today? Well, we do not return to, we are not going back. 
we make memory of a special moment that actually opens a new path for the life of a man, Ignatius of Loyola. A moment that led him to fund the Society of Jesus. We can still learn a lot from Ignatius' process. A very important teaching is that finding Jesus in our life, we can experience styles of living we cannot even imagine by ourselves. And that's what happened to Ignatius. Ignatius never imagined what his life became after the personal encounter with Christ. If we open ourselves to deep our relationship with Jesus and things will become new to our eyes and new dimensions of our life mission will be renewed in a way we cannot plan or even imagine. That's why we, in this year, we don't talk about Ignatius. We talk about how we can see all things new, seeing from the point of view of Christ. That's what Ignatius learned in his own process. Well, I certainly never imagined I would host a podcast, much less talk to the head of the Jesuits. So <laughs> his, Ignatius was right about, about that. And so you say we need to learn to see again. And the Jesuits have uh, put out priorities for the next 10 years about how, how they're going to approach their ministry. And they, they focus on the spiritual exercises and discernment, walking with the marginalized, accompanying young people, and caring for creation. So I'm wondering, you know, as I said before, we're not Jesuits, but we work with them. So what do these priorities mean for people like us, lay people who are involved in a Jesuit ministry or maybe work with students at a Jesuit school? Um, what, do you, what do you hope these priorities inspire in our work? Well, we don't talk strictly about priorities. Uh, we talk about preferences and preferences that uh, because we are not making a kind of a hierarchy between different kinds of apostolates. No, we are we are trying to have a, a kind of uh, orientations for all what we do in all all our, our apostolates that are so different in the society. And continuing with the image of the of the body, I used to compare the apostolic preferences with a hand, a hand that is connected with with the body through the wrist, and the wrist is moved by the head, no, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the hand needs five fingers and to work. To work well, you need the five fingers. So we have four apostolic preferences. No, you just mentioned it. And we have an, uh, another one no? that is the thumb, is the collaboration, because we are not alone. The Society of Jesus is not only the only uh, group that is working in many other things. So we need to collaborate, and we need these four uh, special preferences in every action, every community, every apostolic work, everything we do. And that's why we can move like a good hand that can have a, a, all the complexity of movements of a hand. 
Now, one of those important areas of collaboration that I know the Jesuits uh, are looking at right now is collaboration with women, right? In in various areas of your work. And on International Women's Day last in, in March, uh, you announced the creation of this new commission on the role and responsibilities of women in the Society of Jesus. So what does the society hope to accomplish in terms of looking for new forms of collaboration with women? Oh, we collaborate with women uh, sharing the mission in many, many ways. And, and my hope is to deepen in all kinds of collaboration with women. I don't have the numbers in my, in my hands, but I think uh, uh, the majority of, uh, of uh, people who is sharing the mission with the Jesuits in this moment are women. If we took, uh, uh any, any of, uh, but the biggest, the biggest uh, known uh, area of apostolate that is education, there are uh, thousands, maybe millions of women uh, working uh, together uh, in all the institutions that the Jesuits can uh, run in this moment. So even in universities, even in the parishes, uh, social centers, the presence of women in our apostolic life is really a, a huge presence, a very important presence. And as Jesuits, we need to listen better to the voice of women with whom we work together. We need to be conscious of the process we are already living and take advantage in the best possible way. So that's the, the idea of the commission that has been created uh, some weeks ago has been appointed to help me and the whole body of the society in this process of better hearing the voices of the women and to deepen the collaboration among us. What would you like to say to, to those women that you're um, seeking deeper collaboration with? We, we have, you know, some, some women who listen to these podcasts who work in Jesuit apostolates is there a special message that you would like for them to hear, especially in this Ignatian year? Well, I, I hope I hope they, they are uh, able to help us, me and all the the to 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 be sensible to those dimensions of life that maybe we are not always in the first place putting in in, in our face. And I think the the. The women's sensibility, sensitivity, sensibility is very important to to understand better the world uh, we are uh, working on, and also the better way we are, we have synthesized our our mission in the world reconciliation, and this is one of the big uh, the biggest uh, abilities of women. To contribute to reconciliation, you can also fight, but but also you can you you also uh, can help to reconcile. So we hope that reconciliation can can gain a lot of uh, of uh, possibilities with the contribution of women in our mission. Got it. Well, if you need some uh, women collaborators to talk to, we're always available. <laughs> Um, I want to ask you about Pope Francis again. I've heard that you have er, that he has a nickname for you, and I'm wondering how that started. Well, I don't know if he has a nickname for me. He he doesn't uh, refer to me with a nickname, but maybe was a uh, what something that happened 
in my first encounter with him as a pope, he in Rome. That was in September the 2014, eh? after so many years, maybe 20 years that we have not seen to, uh, together. Since that last time we met, and at that moment he said, I've known you since you were a fool. <laughs> and that's, that's the expression that some Jesuit that was the, around there took, and that's, it's not a nickname, it's only <laughs> a, a way of saying, I know you so long Got away. It. Yeah, I had heard that he called you a little horse or something, but I think I thought it was a, a more yeah. ongoing thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. That's very funny. Um, sticking with uh, Pope Francis, um, there's a narrative around him and his papacy that he's a radical reformer. And among his fans, uh, this can sometimes lead to disappointment if they think he's not changing things fast enough or, or far, going far enough. And among his critics who are worried that, you know, he might be doing radical changes that that go against the, you know, the church tradition. So I'm wondering, what do you think of that narrative? And is it, is it the right one? Does it get something wrong about Pope Francis and what he's trying to do? Oh, Pope Francis is without doubt a man of the Second Vatican Council. For sure. If somebody wants to understand Pope Francis and his way of proceeding and his leadership needs to go back to the experience, to the decrees, and to the development of the church provoked by the Second Vatican Council. That's a, a, a reference point that we cannot uh, forget if we want to understand what's going on in the church and in the, in the mind and the heart of Pope Francis. It is also important to recall the context where Father Bergoglio, many years before when he never imagined to be a pope, has lived and served as a Jesuit and later as a bishop. Bergoglio has been formed and he, his ministry in the Argentinian context and in the wider Latin American context in a very, very uh, tough situation. No? In, uh, when he was a young uh, priest uh, uh, appointed provincial of the Argentinian Jesuits, my father Arrupe was in a dictatorship uh, situation. And he has to fight with a very uh, uh, complex political context and church context. And then, after being a bishop in, in Buenos Aires, he has been also a very important uh, man in all the uh, Conference of Bishops of Latin America. So, Pope Francis is leading the church in the sense of Vatican II, decided with the adjustments needed by the new times and the signs of the Spirit. That's why he is all the time talking about human migration in all its forms, the environment crisis, the growth of inequality, because the Vatican Council uh, teaches us to read the signs of times and to respond to them. And we have to respond with dialogue among all, especially different religions, and we have to use the dialogue as the path to fraternity. That's what Pope Francis is trying to do, and he is inspired in recently in the Vatican Council. If we go back, 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 we arrive to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a little bit more about Pope Francis and, and how being a Jesuit has shaped him as Pope, 
you know, he's somebody who talks a lot about discernment, which is a really important part of Jesuit spirituality. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what what we can all learn from Pope Francis about discernment. Pope Francis uh, is not only a Jesuit, he's a Christian. And discernment is, is part of Christianity. Discernment is an essential dimension of Christian life in all times. No, it's not, it's not the, something recently. No, uh, Jesus was a man of uh, discernment. If you uh, read attentively the, the Gospels, you will see a man who is all the time trying to understand what is God's will, to follow the God's will. And this Jesus and all the uh, all Christians should mm-hmm. do that. Um, that's why Jesus stayed with us after the resurrection throughout the Spirit. He gave us the most precious gift, His Spirit, the way of discerning. We are about to celebrate Pentecost in a few days, so we can renew our idea of uh, being guided by the Spirit. Discernment is the skill every Christian needs to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Ignatian spirituality is so pointed on that. And Ignatian spiritual exercises are a kind of discernment school that mm-hmm. he learned in himself. So following the spiritual exercises, every person can be helped to hear the voice of God calling him to a fully human life and to decide to follow that voice, not to take to make an election. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you can also maybe remember that the, the success of Ignatius with the spiritual exercises were among university students. He was a university, an old university student, mm-hmm. and he get together with some young university students. All the first companions of Ignatius were university students gathered by the experience of the spiritual exercises. That's right. So uh, the, this is school of discernment has been a very, uh, very fruitful for for us in all the stage of our life and apostolate. So all Jesuits do the spiritual exercises, but one thing that's always struck me about the society is the the diverse directions that Jesuits go on from there. So you have Jesuits who are teachers, doctors, actors, podcasters, uh, everything you can think of. And, you know, that's clearly part of the Jesuit charism and a strength of the order. But as the person who's on top of that at the neck, how do you how do you manage such a diverse workforce? Well, fiddle of all, I, every day I discover something new that Jesuits are doing, <laughs> you know, because each Jesuit is a, is, a, is a font of creativity. And that is very important to understand that the Society of Jesus is not a, an organization for do something. It's not, we are, we are mm. not in the society. It's not a job. Mm. We are not, uh, we are not a bit higher for doing a teacher or for doing a, pa- a, a pastor, a parish pastor. No, we, we, the Society of Jesus is shaped of people who wants to respond to the uh, call of the Spirit. And as we also learn from the, from the Bible, the Spirit's, we don't know where, where, where he's going to, to guide us. So what we need is to be very in touch, very in touch with uh, the Spirit. And we do not invent the mission for ourselves or try to do new things because of the novelty they can have. 
will respond to God's will, whatever it might be. And that's my, my uh, big responsibility is to, to follow that, not to, that, to assure that the, the Jesuits, the body of the society, is really following God's will and know what we are discovering or trying to do. The governance of the body that is done through a flexible structure that trusts a lot in every person who shares the mission and his roots in Christ. And we, we try to together find uh, the way that God is showing us. Yeah. So you, you have this amazing, diverse you know group of people who are doing so many cool and different things. You have, you're looking ahead to your, your preferences for the future. But at the same time, you know, at least in the U.S. and Europe, vocations have been going down. And so I'm wondering what your vision of the society is in the next 10 to 20 years. How are you guys accounting for that? Well, the, the first thing I have to say, I, I am not who is going to put limits to the Holy Spirit. Of course not. <laughs> I will try not to put limits. I have to do the, the, all the contrary. <laughs> so about how it's going to be the society, I really don't know. But anyway, at least it will be formed by people transformed by the encounter with Christ, committed to share the experience with their contemporaries. So that's... That's also when, when uh, we pronounce our vows, we say that, that this is something that we have not started. And it's Jesus who started. And he will uh, uh, continue to call people to do this kind of lies. I think the society of Jesus in 10 or, or 20 years will be smaller than now in numbers of Jesuits, but huge larger in collaboration with others. Well, we are learning a lot. In, in collaboration with others. And this is a way of being integrated in a, in a bigger way of uh, carrying the mission of Jesus Christ. The Society of Jesus will be integrated by a greater variety of cultures living in and witnessing interculturality. This is a, an amazing di- a characteristic of the Society of Jesus. We are so diverse and, and, and this di- diversity is growing. No, we have people from I don't know how how many cultures living uh, the same vocation and the same spirit, and our big challenge is to to enrich ourselves from that uh, variety and diversity, and will be a, a society of Jesus adapting their lifestyles and works to the demands of a better balance with the environment. That's I think is a big challenge for our life. How how we embody as a, as a big group of persons in many places of the world coming from different cultures, how we can uh, be witness of a new way of uh, relationship with the environment. Yeah, I really appreciate how you're making a point of balancing, you know, memory of the Jesuits roots with the places that it's going to grow, right? Because I don't I think you understand that there doesn't need to be this separation. You can see it as one continual thing that all of it informs each other. Um, and so I want to ask you on the memory front, uh, your predecessor, Pedro Arupe, is up for canonization. And I was wondering how that process is going. Yeah, not as fast as uh, of my desires, but uh, I do a good pace. Uh, this year, 
the diocesan phase uh, culminates and it will be passed to the Holy See. So we are in the in the in the most uh, difficult part that is taking mm-hmm. taking the, the testimonies in different parts of the world in Japan, in uh, Spain, here in in, in Italy and uh, in some other places of people who knew him or people who has a reference to him, and to put that all together and also uh, a very uh, qualified revision of the archive. No? Father Arrupe wrote a lot as a general and wrote a lot as a provincial and wrote a lot as, as a uh, director of novices. And so uh, all this, all this, uh, his thought is taken in account and to make a, a, a good presentation of, of the person that he was. And also we hope to soon be able to accredit some miracle that will Led him to beatification. That's right. Another, another, another. The miracle, the miracle is everywhere because we are here. No, you are here. We are here. My, uh, Rupert is the man who has inspired the Society of Jesus as his shape today. All right. So we need our our listeners to pray to to Father Rupert so we can get some of those miracles. <laughs> We can do that. Um, we do have one last question for you uh, along those lines. If you could canonize one person, uh, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? Well, I got two good candidates, two real we'll candidates. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. <laughs> is one a Rupert? One is Mahatma Gandhi. Oh, Mahatma okay. Gandhi. Is one and the other one is Nelson Mandela. Okay. This, this, why, why, why? Because all of these two persons, uh, first of all, they have a very deep interior freedom, and it's amazing when you when you read the life of uh, Nelson Mandela or Mahatma Gandhi, uh, living in so hard conditions, no, even in jail as Mandela for so many years. The interior freedom of these two men. And from that interior freedom, they were very committed with reconciliation and justice. Reconciliation and justice, both together, with themselves, beyond themselves, even beyond their families or friends. They were really working for all human beings. They were uh, creating humanity. And I think they are really saints, in the sense of persons who are the image of God. All right. St. Gandhi and St. Mandela, pray for us. Amen. (laughs) Uh, Father Sosa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We're really grateful, and we are um, wishing you and all the Jesuits uh, well for this Ignatian year. We'll we'll try to do our parts in in that work and working towards those preferences. Thank you so much for you and for your people. And tell Pope Francis we say hi next time you see him. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes and mixed by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Robert Balasser in the Jesuit Curia in Rome. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also leave us your comments and questions at inside the Vatican at americamedia.org. 
And if you want to support our show or Jesuitical, the best way to do that is to subscribe to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.